ഹീം ഫീലീ ഫീലീം الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاه والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا الى يوم الدين اما بعد our dear friends dear listeners dear brothers dear sisters alhamdulillah allah allows us to continue on to chapter 13 or rather part 13 of the quran which is وما ابرئ نفسي the 13th part which has the continuation from verse 53 of surah yusuf just to give you an idea surah yusuf continues from verse 53 uh, on to until its completion just over quarter of the juz to about 111 verses until verse 111 then that completes the surah then we start surah ar-ra'd surah ar-ra'd and surah ar-ra'd uh, is then 43 verses and then we're followed by surah ibrahim and surah ibrahim actually ends at the end of the juz so we'll be looking at two complete surahs which is surah ar-ra'd and surah ibrahim and the completion of surah yusuf insha'allah so that's what we're looking at surah yusuf as i mentioned that this is something that you can read the translation insha'allah benefit from because that that's a very straightforward story allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins this part begins here where yusuf alayhi salam after he's been exonerated he said wa ma ubarri'u nafsi i don't want to exonerate myself the nafs la ammaratun bisu the human nafs the soul the ego does have this that is the evil inciting self this is where many of the scholars of spirituality have taken one of the categorization of the nafs which is an nafs al ammara bisu which is the one that is the evil inciting one the the feeling we have in should i do this wrong should i do that wrong do that wrong do that wrong that generally is from the al-mara bisu then we have the others the an-nafs al-mutma'inna mentioned in uh, in the last juz of the quran which we'll be looking at later illa man rahima rabbi except the one who my lord has mercy upon then that person is uh, is is uh, going to be protected but then those who do make mistakes with regards to listening to the promptings of their nafs and soul in rabbi laghafurur rahim my lord is most forgiving and most merciful 
The story continues, and uh, I'll just give you the brief summary of it. After he'd been exonerated, he refused to go out until those, both those women who had that whole sitting where the Aziz's wife, after she'd tried to seduce him and the word had spread, these women started taunting her. And they started saying that, why are you going after this, this, uh, this young man? And she's telling that, look, you don't understand what this man has. This man is extremely beautiful. So then she sets up a special session in which she gives them all a plate of fruit and, some, and a knife and then tells Yusuf salam to come in. And subhanAllah, when he comes in, they were just totally dumb. They'd never seen anything like this such... I mean, you, you can just imagine what they did was instead of now cutting their fruit, they cut their hand. Right now, that must be... I can't even think about it. That, what kind of beauty that must have been and what kind of uh, effect it must have had on those, on those women, is whatever the case is. Anyway, after that, he gets put into prison. There, he doesn't stop his da'wah. He does his da'wah. There's some people who are asking for a, a dream interpretation. So before he provides a dream interpretation, he says, look, I'll, don't worry, I'll provide it to you before the food comes. But then he gives them da'wah. He talks about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the tawheed, the oneness. And he says that that's kind of the, that, that is what I follow and my forefathers have followed. And then after that, the whole story of the, uh, um, anyway, so the point is that eventually there's a dream that's seen by the, the malik, the king. And uh, one of these guys who was inside the prison, whose dream had been interpreted by Yusuf alayhi salam, he says, I can find somebody to tell that dream to you and to give you that information. So uh, Yusuf alayhi salam gives them the suggestions about what to do for the seven years and how to preserve the uh, pr preserve the staple foods and so on and then now Yusuf alayhi salam is uh, there and he asks for a position so from verse 58 uh, he says in verse 55 rather he says that let me be in charge of the khaza'in al-ard uh, the store let me be basically in charge of the food distribution and uh, because I am extremely protective over that I'm knowledgeable about this and uh, I, I can do this well uh, scholars have said that from this understanding that generally the Prophet ﷺ said that don't ask for a leadership position generally. لا تسل, لا تسل right? Don't ask for a leadership position because if you ask and then you're given it, then you'll be left to your own devices. Whereas if you're forced into it and compelled into it by others, then Allah will then you'll be helped by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So generally there's a discouragement, but here Yusuf is actually asking for this position. So what we understand from here is that where you look around and you find genuinely speaking that there's nobody else to look after it well and you will do the job the best, you know, in all sincerity, then between you and Allah, then th that is completely allowed for you to ask. And we have the precedence in Yusuf to do that. You just have to be careful because the, we love our nafs too much. So sometimes, you know, we want a position and we think everybody else is just no good. Anyway, then the story continues quickly that Yusuf Alisam's brothers will come because the drought has now struck everywhere. The dream has come true. And they find out that in Egypt, there is uh, the king and so on. And they're, they're providing ration for people. So Yusuf Alisam's brothers come, but they don't bring his brother, Binyamin, Benjamin Binyamin. So Yusuf Alisam recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. And eventually what happens is that he says, look, you need, to bring your, you need to bring your brother with you. Can you not see how much I give for each individual person? And he actually tells his people to put their money back as well. Uh, so that when they go home, they'll actually find their money and they'll be more inclined to come back. So they go back and they encourage the father to let them bring Binyamin. Uh, his father's not very happy about it because uh, he, he's saying, can I trust you again? But then eventually he lets, he lets him come. And then um, when he does come, 
I'll fill in some other parts later on, but when he does come, uh, he takes his brother and he basically puts him there. But then what he does is that he places a, uh, uh, an expensive uh, vessel into his brother's luggage. And then uh, as they're about to leave, they may, there's an announcement made that, hey, the, uh, this, this gold vessel, very expensive, uh, valuable item is missing. So these people said, well, we got nothing to do. We don't know anything about it. So they, made, they checked everybody's and they found it in Binyamin's. Uh, in, in Binyamin's uh, possessions. says, okay, we have to keep him back. They said, keep one of us back. He said, no, we only allowed to keep this, you know, whoever it's found in, we have to keep him back. Anyway, then th they want to go back. One of them says, I'm not going to go back. I'm going to stay here because, you know, we messed up before when it came to Yusuf salam, and I can't face my father. Anyway, they go back and they, they tell their father what happens, but then he gives them a lot of encouragement. I mean, Yusuf salam is just amazing. Just full, full, full of patience, and trust in Allah, patience and trust in Allah, patience and trust in Allah. He says, he's now saying that maybe even Allah will go, go and try, go and try, look, look for them, you know, to try to bring my, uh, my sons back. Even, maybe even Yusuf will come back. Anyway, they come back and finally the, the, uh, he, he says something to them that do you remember what you did with Yusuf? And they then finally recognize him because at the end of the day, genetics, right? So they finally recognize him and said, wow, Anta Yusuf, are you Yusuf? That's a very emotional moment. That's a very emotional moment. Um, so anyway, then after that, uh, he gives them his qamis, right? He gives them his uh, tunic and he says, put this over my father's eyes when he finds out that his father has developed cataract because of an abundance of crying, right? So you don't lose your sight. You get cataracts. It's like a veil, a cover that comes over. So they go back and Yusuf Ali, and Yaqub is just so connected, so trusted, trusting that he says, I smell Yusuf. I smell the, sm uh, the fragrance or the scent of Yusuf before they've come in. And the, uh, those who are with him thinking that he's just going crazy and insane. But then when the brothers come back and uh, mashallah, uh, he gets his yartadda basira, he gets his uh, vision back. And then after that, they bring him to Egypt. And mashallah, what a, what a moment. He puts his parents uh, onto the arsh. He puts his parents onto the arsh and... Um, and they fall, fall prostrate, and then he says, "Yes, this is now the this is now the the, the 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 realization of the dream where he saw the sun, the moon, and the stars prostrating to him." Anyway, then the story finishes. There's just a number of du'as that Yusuf makes, and then finally the last part from verse 105 is just talking about the various signs that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala sent and the purpose for them, and then basically the importance of the path. And so on. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says at the end in verse 111, That in their stories, we don't tell you for no reason. This is not just like a joy story we're telling you. But the, 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 the story, the purpose of all of that is that there are lessons to be derived from that for the people of intellect, people who think through this. And this is not a hadith and yuftara. This is not something that's fabricated, but this is actually confirmed. This is a confirmation of what they have and it's also an explanation and a detail of everything and a guidance and a mercy for those who believe. So Allah gives us the reasoning for the stories that He provides. So now what I want to do is the entire surah from the beginning to the end, the part we covered yesterday and today, uh, all I'm going to do is rather than tell you the whole story, I gave you the whole story in brief anyway, I'm going to, uh, because, because as Allah says at the end that there's a lot of nasiha in here, there's a lot of uh, guidance in here. There's a lot of lessons to be derived and counsels and advices. 
All we want to do today is that we just want to go through uh, in this verse. I'll point out a few verses to you, but mainly what we do is just try to derive the lessons. And there will be lessons that you people will be able to derive as well. I would have loved to have heard them, but uh, at least let me tell you what I have here. One of the fundamental lessons, right? One of the fundamental points of consideration here is that sometimes the difficulty, which this world is full of difficulties, but sometimes the difficulty will eventually lead one to solace, comfort, um, benefit, and bounties of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And one of the biggest examples is the story of Yusuf alayhi salam. Right? Can you imagine how many difficulties he had to go through just as a child? I mean, the poor guy, innocent child, right, knows no evil, and yet he's thrown into a well. Can you just imagine what must have gone through his mind that my brothers threw me into the well? You know, you can expect some bandits to do that. That's terrible enough. That's terror enough. But when your own brothers who you're supposed to be loving uh, and who's supposed to be loving you, subhanAllah, can you imagine what difficulty that must have been? And then after that, he's then picked up, okay, that's a bit of relief, but then he's sold as a slave. And then after that, as he gets older, things seem to be getting a bit better, but then suddenly he's got this seduction issue, and he's a very pure-hearted individual, right? So he has to deal with that. Then he's thrown into prison, right? For seven years in isolation in prison, staying away there. But then eventually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives him that position. He becomes the minister of uh, food rations distributions or whatever the situation was <coughs> so always i mean if you've got difficulties there will be so many things believe me there are a lot of people who are listening who've got difficulties they've lost someone they've got issues with somebody they've got sicknesses and illnesses or whatever the case is read this story and take the lessons of all the difficulties and when we hear about other difficulties and then the great ending of this then you will, inshallah, that will give us a lot of comfort. And this is one of the purposes of this surah as well from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two. Number two, subhanallah, one of the first things, the reason why Yusuf alayhi salam is thrown in the well and not killed, I mean, why he was going to be killed, but then rather just thrown in the well, and then he survives, is uh, the hasad. It's basically envy and jealousy. And again, we learn from this that, that you're closest your closest could be envious of you. Your closest could be envious of you. And his father told him not to mention the dream, but then as a young child, he may have mentioned it. So uh, be careful. And hasad is really, really bad. Number three, what we understand from Yusuf Salam's story that he's a young boy when he's taken. How does he survive? How does he survive the suffering that I've just mentioned earlier? How does he survive all of that? That must have come from a tarbiyah. But then you're going to say, well, his brothers should have had tarbiyah as well from their parents. Yaqub was there, all of their father. How come they messed up? Well, that gives us an understanding that sometimes the tarbiyah does work with some, sometimes it doesn't work with others. Of course, they were sorry afterwards, and they made amends afterwards, obviously, when they were in a disadvantaged position. But mashallah, at least with Yusuf it worked very well, that it managed to give him from a young age, he gave him the for, forbearance, the fortitude, uh, and how to deal with these matters, and not to basically break up and be, and, and be something else. So that's, uh, that's another thing we understand, that good parenting uh, is also important. Good parenting with a lot of love and everything is very important. And what we learn from that is that when you do stick to your 
principles, where, because you can tell Yusuf was very principled from number of the encounters, refusing to come out of the prison. Anybody else, they think, let's run out of this prison, you know, however it is. But he didn't want to run out. He wanted to be exonerated. He, wanted, he didn't want to be seen as a favor or a compassionate freedom, you know, a compassionate freeing that just because he gave the, the, the right interpretation. No, he wanted to do it properly. So you can tell he's a man of principles. And when you're a man of principles like that, and you've got the akhlaq and that to show, then at the end of the day, that shows that you eventually will become honored for the right zin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide you the right honor. Then after that, the fifth uh, lesson we derive from here is basically the, the wisdom behind the prohibition of men and women being alone together. Right? Especially individual man with an individual woman, right? being alone, that kind of a khalwa, right? that's always considered to be a big fitna. Not just between the couple, because the hadith in Tirmidhi uh, mentions, Tirmidhi and Nasai, Surah Nasai mentions that when a man, a single man and a woman are together, alone, are alone rather, then the third one is generally going to be the shaitan. That's what they call the chemistry. There was chemistry between us, or electricity, or whatever you want to call it, right? Um, that's basically, there's always going to be this desire. That's just Allah, the way He's made human beings. Attraction between man and woman. So when there's alone, nobody else is like, okay, maybe, you know, there's something that we can do here. But shaitan is always there. That's the shaitan doing the promptings. And a number of, number of people's experiences show that at work as well, Right, and uh, that's a suggestion from Wall Street as of late after the Me Too movement that you know do not be alone in a meeting and so on. There are people with principles who are never alone with a member of the opposite gender, even in a meeting, unless the doors open or there's big windows, because there's been a lot of slander cases like this. There's been a lot of accusations, huge accusation cases. So um, one needs to be very careful with that. We understand the wisdom in that. Number six, having strong, uh, having strong aqaid having strong iman, right, that also keeps you away from, uh, number one, it, makes, it allows you to survive and it keeps you away from harams and wrongs. Yusuf Ali is very strong. I mean, he says that, um, Yusuf Ali says, وَهَمَّ بِهِ وَهَمَّ بِهَا Right, that she had this desire for him and then some people have translated that he could have inclined to her as well. But then, mashallah, it's something saved him. لَوْلَا أَرْرَآ بُرْهَانَ رَبِّهِ had he not seen the evidence and the proof from his Lord. Some tafsirs mentioned that he actually saw a vision of Yaqub And that's actually happened to certain people. Some righteous people who fell in a vulnerable moment were about to commit a sin. Like there's one person, he was in another country, his sheikh was in another country. And he'd moved to another country. And uh, he was about to visit uh, a woman uh, for haram. And as he knocked on the door, he, he actually felt a slap. Right, he felt a sting. And uh, so, so Allah does save people in different ways. But we can't rely on that. We need to you know, uh, tell Allah to save us. And inshallah, Allah will save us. But that just shows fortification of one's faith. Uh, fortitude of one's faith. Number seven. What we also learn from Yaqub in particular as well. Uh, as verse 33 will show us. Right? Uh, for example, if you look at verse 33, yeah, so verse 33 was actually what I was saying just earlier, which is, Such principal idea that I'd rather be in prison. Remember, because she said that if you don't do, right, she said to him that if you don't do what I tell you to do, then you're going to be in prison. So he says, He uh, said, My Lord, my, the prison is actually more beloved to me than what they're inviting me towards. 
Now, if you don't protect me, if you don't take away their, uh, their, their, their plotting and their planning from me, then I could become inclined in that direction and I could be one of the, those who are unaware. So when you're in a situation like that, don't start enjoying and everything. Pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect you. So Allah re- responded to him and turned uh, uh, turned it away, turned their plotting uh, away from him, and Allah is always all listening and all uh, all knowing. So what I was saying is that yes, uh, one of the points, the lessons that we derive from there is that for a mu'min, every time they've got difficulty, then difficulty or a challenge or a fitna like that, they should always turn to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. It's just remembering Allah Subhanahu wa Taala at that time when we're trying to find somebody else who can help us. Like who can help us? Who should I call? Always first remember Allah, make a dua, then you can call whoever you want to. There's nothing wrong with that. So this teaches us that as well. That's why uh, what we learn from this fact that he was in prison and so on, uh, that he, he, he was willing to go into prison rather than basically commit the haram act. For a lot of other people, they think that, oh, haram, this is free. This is basically free lust, free pleasure for me, right? And, uh, but it's dangerous. But he rather, rather than do that, he actually wanted to go into prison. And that's why there's a Persian poet, uh, there's a Persian poem, the translation of which is that uh, Allah, it's, Allah, uh, it's all gratitude to Allah that I may be in a difficulty. So I may be in a musibah, not in a ma'siyah. Right? All praises to Allah that I may be in musibah, but not in ma'siyah. Musibah means difficulty. Uh, ma'siyah means disobedience. Alhamdulillah, I'm not disobeying. I'd rather be in a musibah than disobedience. Subhanallah, if you think about it, that is so true. While it may be difficult now, it'll become, uh, while, while it may be difficult now, it'll be much better later on. Then what we understand is that even though he's in prison, he doesn't just sit there, sulk or whatever. He's doing his job. So he teaches people, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's interacting people and he's giving the da'wah of tawheed and so on. Right? And they became Muslim. They, apparently, at least one of them became Muslim. So we learn that that, Another thing is that anybody who is a person of some repute, person of some position, person of principle, they need to be extra careful of staying away from places of suspicion, like Yusuf did, preferring to go into prison, to go to prison, than to basically stay out and you know, even risk it. So he preferred to go to prison. And number 10 tells us, subhanAllah, that once a person does sabr well enough, patience well enough, you understand the fadila from here, right? Number one, you see the patience that Yusuf is extending through the well, uh, through the issues with his brothers, uh, and, and so on and so forth. And then Allah gives him what he does. And then, of course, Yaqub, his patience throughout, he gets back Yusuf, whereas there would have been no possibility in those days without any kind of tracking system, connection system. But subhanAllah, his brothers are brought to him rather than he be brought back, subhanAllah. Uh, another thing that's very interesting is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala totally exonerates Yusuf from the evil and from being unchaste. And that's why you have several different uh, witnesses to his purity. Number one, Allah himself through this surah. Number two, the shaitan. How does the shaitan bear witness to the purity or the sincerity of Yusuf Because he says that I'm going to mislead 
your people, you know, let me, give me respite and I'm going to mislead every one of them. إِلَّا عِبَادَكَ مِنْهُمُ الْمُخْلَصِينَ Right, except your sincere servants. And Yusuf was not misled. That means according to even shaitan who couldn't mislead him, it means that Yusuf is by that witness also uh, sincere. Number three, Yusuf himself saying, I'd rather go to prison than to do this act. That's himself bearing witness to the fact that, you know, he wants to be pure. Number four is the, as the, the wife, the one who tried to seduce him. She says, uh, at the, uh, as we see on the last page, uh, verse 51, she says, Verse 51. So she bears, no, it was me that seduced him. Then the other witness comes from the other women. Because just before that, they say, uh, uh, no, we don't know of any evil. So the women are also bearing witness for him. Aside from the wife of uh, the, the Aziz of Misr. And then the other one comes from, uh, obviously, that young child from the, uh, from the family who spoke out about the tear and that being an evidence as to who seduced whom. Or who attacked whom. Another thing that we understand here is that even when it comes to prophets, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to test somebody and do certain things in a certain way, doesn't matter what happens, it's gonna happen. You know, Yusuf being taken away from his father, his father having to grieve for such a long time and so on. But as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says at the end, that this is a story for reflection, especially from those people who have intellect. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, make us, uh, make us of, of those people who have the intellect. I just want to mention a few prominent verses that basically stick out for me, right? Um, one of them is, I've already mentioned a few of them to you, but uh, in verse 44, when, he, when the king asks for an interpretation of his dream and his, his advisors or whatever who are supposed to interpret dreams, they're saying, These are your scattered thoughts of the day. Right? And we, we can't interpret these things. Essentially, according to some hadith, you get there's more categories, but at least three major categories of dreams. One is the al-hulum, which are nightmares. Minash shaitan, as the hadith says in Bukhari, etc. Then you've got ru'ya min Allah, which means the good dreams that give you some kind of glad tidings that are pleasant. They're from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's an angel that comes and plants these dreams. And number three is adghathu ahlam. These are the scattered thoughts of the day. Things that you've been concerned about, things that you witness. Some people, some people see more of this than others. Some people, mashallah, they always see like a, like a summary of their day or some uh, alternate story of their day's events or, uh, or so on. So those are three types of dreams. What else is there in here? There's a lot of verses that you, we can benefit from. I told you about the nafs already. And then verse 67 is very interesting. It kind of takes quite a bit of time this. The verse 67 where Yaqub when he sends his children back, he says, when you go there, don't enter Misr, don't enter the area from, all, from one door. But scatter yourself and enter from different doors. And this was something in his heart that he wanted, that, you know, that this was a sentiment in his heart. And what the ulama say here is that this is because he didn't want them to catch the evil eye. To see like all brothers, like uh, all 12 of them, right? Or 11 or 12 of them, you know, um, so 11 of them coming together. Yeah, Yusuf is obviously inside. Uh, if somebody sees like this big group, I mean, that's a p position of envy. So he didn't want the evil eye. Uh, so he's taking precaution from the pre uh, evil eye. So we learned that we should also take precaution from evil eye, not basically flash 
your riches and other things like that, or your children and so on and so forth like that. We always make the dua. Another really interesting uh, point that is off-quoted is وَفَوْقَ كُلِّ ذِي عِلْمٍ عَلِيمٍ in verse 76. Above every knowledgeable person is yet another knowledgeable person. And you never know. You think you're the most knowledgeable one and yet you're going to find somebody who's more knowledgeable than you about something. That's just the nature of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's planning for this world. So never be arrogant. And you know, subhanAllah, another very emotional moment is 77, verse 77, the next verse. When... This cup was found. Obviously, nobody has stolen it, but subhanAllah, they said this was one of the first things that came out, right? When that was discovered, that okay, so because Binyamin is the full brother of Yusuf, and this cup has been found in his possessions. So they're saying, Yusuf is sitting there, they don't know it's him, he knows it's them. And basically, they, they, this slips out of their mouth, or however they say it, that, okay, if he stole Binyamin, then his brother stole before him. Why did they say that? They still have hasad in their heart, what, what comes out at that moment. Something to really think about. But I'm thinking about it from Yusuf salam's side that he, he knows it's a lie. And he's in a position of authority. He can have them killed, whatever, possibly. Subhanallah. But He could have said it out then. He said, no, he kept it veiled in his heart. And he did not reveal it. Always, Ya'qub look at verse 86. I'm just going to complain of my grief and my, you know, all, all my affairs basically to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I know what you do not know. Then what happens is, um, the famous verse which I quoted yesterday that the Prophet ﷺ also said something similar in uh, the conquest of Makkah is 92. You can look at that. But then I want to just point out verse 97. After it became clear that Yusuf ﷺ is still there and everything and they realized that their father had always been on to some because he says, I know from Allah what you do not know. That's what he'd been saying. Now they said, okay, our father... For, seek forgiveness for our mistakes. We were mistaken, we were wrong. So the father says, Yaqub says, Sofa astaghfirullakum rabbi soon, I will seek forgiveness for you. And ulama say that this is at tahajjud time, which is the, one of the best time to seek forgiveness, right? The last portion of the night, which right now during suhoor time in Ramadan, it's a possibility for everybody. Alhamdulillah, we complete, we complete this surah, and now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to move on. To the next surah, which is uh, surah number 13, surah Al-Ra'd. And again, it starts off with Alif La Mim Ra, Tilka Ayatul Kitab. Right? Again, because it's got the huruf muqatta'at, the individual letters at the beginning, it's, it starts off, as we've normally seen, with a mention of the Quran, something about the Quran, and uh, saying that the Quran, what has been revealed to you, is the truth, and a lot of people do not believe. Now, so this surah is also a Makki surah, so you're going to see a lot of evidences of, again, oneness of Allah and so on in here. Uh, it's only got 43 verses, so now you can see they're getting much smaller now, right? It's only got 43 verses after the previous one, I had 111, surah, surah Yusuf had 111, now this jumps to half that, 43 verses. It's got six sections, ruku, and again, the discussion is about tawheed, prophecy, and Another prominent aspect is ba'ath ba'd al-mawt, which is resurrection after death, 
If you look at the beginning after it talks about the truthfulness of the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about uh, the, the, the following other main issues. From, uh, it's really worth reading, from verse 2, Allahu الذي رفع السماوات بغير عمد ترونها. Allah raises the heavens without any pillars that you can see supporting them. Right? And Ajib, there's pillars of force that are invisible. That's what, you know, that's what astronomy and science will tell you today. But the Quran is telling you this 1400 years ago that there are pillars but you can't see them. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about himself and uh, how he administrates the affairs of the world and so on. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of a number of different cosmic ideas, colors of fruit, uh, the tastes, fruits, uh, talks about different fruits, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala produces all of these things. Mountains, lakes, uh, subhanallah, well worth reading and, and, to, and to think about that benefit, harm, it, it's, well, it's well worth reading that. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala discusses, so that's until about verse 4, then the next discussion, verse 5, 6, etc. is about the day of judgment and especially about, they say, uh, this is where Allah brings that up. Like, when we become dust, are we then going to become a new creation? Right? So, that is discussed in numerous different places. I mean, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made you the first time from nothing. So, now at least there's some dust to go by, even if you want to look at it rationally speaking, your DNA is there. Right? If you look at it from that perspective, see, the, the, the thing about the people of Makkah you have to understand is that they did not deny God. They just ascribed partners to Him. And in that, they actually demoted Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They didn't give Him the consideration. Right? And that's why they would just play around with their beliefs and ideas. But otherwise, numerous times Allah uh, says in the Quran that if they were to be asked that who created the world, they'd say Allah. They knew He's Allah. They knew He's the creator of the world. But they just didn't give him that seriousness because they had so many other gods in front. So one of the things that they could not understand is that how could we could be resurrected. So that's mentioned. Then the discussion, verse 11, is about, uh, very interesting, in verse 11, This is talking about angels, these are what they call the hafadah, the guardian angels, the real guardian angels that are with different people, and we've seen on numerous occasions that a child uh, will be protected in a miraculous way. A child falling into, uh, once there was a guy who had a swimming pool at the back, and his generally they'd keep the back door closed, but this time it was open, and suddenly they discovered a child isn't there, so they rush out thinking, oh no, he's fallen into the pool, and he's not in the pool, he's outside, but he's completely wet. Right? So it's like, how can he be completely wet, but he's not in the pool? Right, this is an experience. There's no way the child, if he fell in the pool, he would have got out by himself because it was you know, more, than, more than his ability to get out in one two-year-old child. So the only thing they can think is maybe he fell, but then, mashallah, this guardian angels have protected, protected them. And there's been numerous cases like that. And this happens to many different people. Then we have to hurry up with this surah because we've got the other surah as well. Uh, but as I said, this is quite a short surah anyway. One of the most oft-quoted verses of the Qur'an that you, you would have heard in many khutbahs and so on is the next part of this verse that I just quoted, which is verse 11. إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُغَيِّرُ مَا بِقَوْمٍ حَتَّى يُغَيِّرُ مَا بِأَنفُسِهِمْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to change the condition of a people until they change their own condition first. And so the idea is that if certain people are downtrodden, they're messed up, 
they are looked down upon, humiliated, suffering and so on, they better ask for help. Meaning, they better do something and do whatever is in their means to try to change their situation. They can't just sit down and do dua only. They must make an effort. And that's what Allah is telling us here, that Allah is not going to change your situation until you take the first steps and you put into motion whatever means you can muster yourself. And that tells us everything, that if you've got a problem, you've lost something, or you're really grievous about something, it's not going to just go away. You're going to have to make an effort to make a difference. And your only, our job is only to make the effort that we have the ability to do. We're not saying we can change the situation, but we do whatever we can while keeping our hope in Allah, then Allah, inshallah, will help. And that's uh, basically what we're understanding from, uh, from these very prominent verses. And then verse 13 is the verse in which the word occurs from which this surah is named. Allah says, وَيُسَبِّحُ الرَّعْدُ بِحَمْدِهِ The ra'd glorifies Allah with his praise, and so do the angels out of his fear. And then Allah sends the, um, the sawa'iq. فَيُصِيبُ بِهَا مَنْ يَشَاءُ وَهُمْ يُجَادِلُونَ فِي اللَّهِ وَهُوَ شَدِيدُ الْمِحَالِ So what is the ra'd? This is, the, this is an angel. The ra'd is an angel. And as you'll know, the, this surah is the lightning, the, the thunder. Sawa'ik is lightning. So Allah sends the lightning. The ra'd is the angel of thunder. right? And he is the one who causes these things to happen in the heavens and then this noise is made. But that's also the ra'd angel praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, glorifying him with his praise. So that's a very prominent verse there. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, I just want to point out that we didn't point out in chapter 9, before Surah Al-Anfal, at the end of the surah, we had a verse of the sajda. There are uh, 14 sajdas in the Qur'an. Basically, these are verses in which there's a sajda. So here it's, for Allah does prostrate those in the heavens and the earth, willingly or unwillingly, and, and so on. So where, not everywhere, but in most places where there is a discussion about, about prostration, they prostrated or they refused to prostrate, or the heavens prostrate or those in the heavens prostrate, then the hukam for us is that it becomes obligatory and binding to perform a sujood. Right? If it's in salat, you do it in salat. If it's outside of salat, you do it outside of salat. So this, uh, generally in most mushafs, they're marked. So don't forget that if you haven't done them, then you should you, you should you should start doing them, right? That it's it's basically that okay we're one of the prostrators. If we don't do it, it's like okay we're just passing it by, we're ignoring it, and we're not prostrating. It's our expression that we are prostrators, so we should we should do this and not miss them. You can obviously make them up all up later. Like if you've missed out five, ten, fifteen, twenty, you can probably do them all later. They don't become cancelled out as such. So you should try to do them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions a number of, uh, as, as usual basically, the difference between those who do good and the, those who do, do, do well. So these verses now are some, the verses I'm going to tell you from verse 19 onwards. This is a discussion of the characteristics of a believer. And then it tells you their ultimate ending. And it does it in such a beautiful way. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالَّذِينَ يَصِلُونَ مَا أَمَرَ اللَّهُ بِهِ أَنْ يُوصَلَ وَيَخْشَوْنَ رَبَّهُمْ وَيَخَافُونَ سُوءَ الْحِسَابِ These are all the characteristics of the believers. Just summarize for you what those characteristics are and then ultimately what they get from this. Number one, these people are Ahlu taqwa Right? They are people, uh, these, these people of taqwa basically have the following eight to ten characteristics that you can glean from there. Number one, they fulfill their covenants and oaths. Their promises, they always fulfill them. They don't mess around with that. Number two, uh, any connections Allah has told us to make, like with our relatives, any relationships He's told us to keep, they make sure that they're very particular about them. A lot of people uh, have problems with this and they, they should understand this, that that is uh, something which is going to take away from, from them being good believers. Number three, they, they are fearful of their Lord. They are Number four, they are fearful of the hisab, accounting on the day of judgment. They, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, do a lot of sabr. That sabr is always a theme that comes here. Number, the next one is that they are establishers of the prayer. Right? Aqamu salata. Then number, the, the next one is they spend from what Allah has provided them openly and in secret. They spend in all ways. Number, uh, the next one is they repel evil with good. Then Allah says, أُولَٰئِكَ لَهُمْ عُقُبَ الدَّارِ جَنَّةُ عَدْنِي يَدْخُلُونَهَا وَمَنْ صَلَحَ مِنْ آبَائِهِمْ وَأَزْوَاجِهِمْ وَذُرِّيَّاتِهِمْ وَالْمَلَائِكَةُ يَدْخُلُونَ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنْ كُلِّ بَابِ So, these are the people, they're going to enter, you know, they, they have this wonderful abode of the hereafter. As consequence, these are the, uh, the gardens of permanence, they'll enter them, along with those of their fathers, their spouses, and their progeny who are righteous. So the righteous will be together in paradise. And this is the beautiful scene that Allah is depicting. Now from every door the angels are entering. And what are they saying in their welcome? This is like, these are the angels who are going to welcome you into paradise. And their wording is, Salamun alaykum, salamun alaykum bima sabartum, fani'ma uqbaddar. Peace now be upon you because of your patience, because of the exercise, because of the patience you exercised. And you see, patience is huge. This verse should be comfort for anybody in difficulty that they need to be patient. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give them for their patience. Even in paradise when the angels tell you, they're going to congratulate you for your patience. Ajib. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala strikes the contrast with the evil people and by saying that these are the people who uh, break their promises, break their covenants, don't stand by them. And... Uh, they break their kinship. They're, they're, they're the evil people who break kinship that you're supposed to measure. Don't just be good with your relatives if they're good to you. You need to try to be as good as possible with them to the best of your ability without basically messing it up more. And number three, the other evil point is yufsiduna filar, those who corrupt, cause corruption in the earth. Then I want to point out another verse, which is verse 28. الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَتَطْمَئِنُّ قُلُوبُهُمْ بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ أَلَا بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ تَطْمَئِنُّ الْقُلُوبِ Allah is giving us basically, this is a manual for the heart, He's giving us a prescription for the heart. Allahu Akbar, it's the people of belief whose hearts become content and tranquil and comforted.
by the remembrance of Allah. Because it is only with the remembrance of Allah that hearts become comforted. And as we mentioned, music is for the soul, whereas the dhikr of Allah is for the spirit, for the ruh, the angelic side of it. Right? So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us minadhakkarin, those who remember him abundantly. Another thing that's mentioned here is uh, verse 38, which I've, if you've heard some other lectures of mine about marriage, because uh, um, I'll start from this. Uh, verse 38, We've sent before you messengers, and we gave them azwaj and dhurriya. They were married individuals, right, with children. We gave them spouses and we, had, you know, we gave them progeny. So this is a sunnah of the prophets, to, to a sunnah of the messengers to be married. And finally, after a number of other discussions, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ends by a discussion about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa The disbelievers, they say that you're not a sent messenger. قُلْ كَفَى بِاللَّهِ شَهِيدًا بَيْنِي وَبَيْنَكُمْ وَمَنْ عِنْدَهُ عِلْمُ الْكِتَابِ Right? Allah say that Allah is sufficient as a witness between us and you and the one who has the knowledge of the book. So again, because it started off with discussion of the Quran, the book of Allah, it ends and that connection is made between the two as well. By that we complete Surah Al-Ra'd. Alhamdulillah. Now we begin the 14th chapter, Surah of the Quran, which is Surah Ibrahim. And you can imagine that there's going to be a discussion of Ibrahim here. And the discussion of Ibrahim here, as opposed to everywhere else, it's a very interesting, both in terms of the content. Personally, whenever I read that, I really enjoy it. Like, I savor it. You know, you savor the Quran, but that's something that just really uh, sticks out to you. And you savor, I love reading it in my salat as well. There's some du'as in there. We'll, I'll, I'll, I'll cover it soon. Uh, but... So it's called Surah Ibrahim from there. And not only that, uh, this is something that we've not been able to discuss because we're always in a, you know, uh, discussing the content and we're in a rush to try to discuss the content. But the Quran's wording and the Quran's rhythm and its rhapsody and its, uh, its cadence is actually specially created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the way it sounds essentially, to go with the meaning. And you see that even more prominently in certain verses and certain surahs than others. And I would say that from verse um, 35 of this new surah, Surah Ibrahim, to 41, you see that very clearly. You see, if you've got, a, if you've got an ear for the tune, you'll need to know and understand Arabic. But even if you read and you just get the gist of the meaning, you'll still be able to appreciate وَإِذْ قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ رَبِّ جَعَلْ هَذَا الْبَلَدَ آمِنًا وَجَنُبْنِي وَبَنِيَّ أَن نَعْبُدَ الْأَصْنَامِ رَبِّ إِنَّهُنَّ أَضْلَلْنَ كَثِيرًا مِّنَ النَّاسِ فَمَنْ تَبِعَنِي فَإِنَّهُ مِنِّي وَمَنْ عَصَانِي فَإِنَّكَ غَفُورٌ رَّحِيمٌ رَبَّنَا إِنِّي أَسْكَنْتُ مِنْ ذُرِّيَّتِي بِوَادٍ غَيْرِ ذِي زَرْعٍ عِنْدَ بَيْتِكَ الْمُحَرَّمِ رَبَّنَا رَبَّنَا لِيُقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةَ فَاجْعَلْ أَفْئِدَةً مِنَ النَّاسِ تَهْوِي إِلَيْهِمْ and then he continues. Just the meaning of that last one is, Our Lord, I have 
left my descendants to reside in this valley which had actually no vegetation but by in the vicinity of your sanctified house O oh Allah so that they can establish prayer turn the people hearts of people towards them subhanallah and until today that dua has been accepted and that's why we're just waiting to go to the haram for hajj or for umrah and and provide them, supply them with all forms of fruits so that they may be thankful. And that's why, subhanAllah, Medina, Makkah, Mukarramah is always from the world, things have been brought to it. And then it carries on. It's beautiful. When you understand, it's actually very beautiful. Surah Ibrahim is a Makki surah. So again, it's going to be talking about the fundamentals. It has. Allahu Akbar, 52 verses, only 52 verses. So similar to the previous one, right? They're like all in their 50s, it seems. And it has seven different sections in there. And again, it begins with Alif Lam Ra, Kitabun Anzalnahu Ilayk, Allahu Akbar. Again, this part is just very lyrical, this is. Kitabun Anzalnahu Ilayk, Litukhrijan Nasa Min Al-Zulumati Ila Nur. Allah is describing the book and saying that this is a book that we've revealed to you so that you can take people out of the darkness to the light by the permission of their Lord towards the, the, the path, uh, the, the praiseworthy and the mighty path. And then there's discussion about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then there's discussion about Musa alayhi salam and, and so on. Uh, the, some of the prominent themes that you'll see when you read this for yourself uh, Number one is some of the basic aqaid and belief aspects like tawheed, uh, prophecy, uh, resurrection is again And being rewarded for your deeds and iman uh, Number two, the criticism and censoring of disbelievers And uh, talking about hellfire and how hellfire is going to be so bad And showing that as well, that's why the dissuasion aspect of it is coming in there and then after that, it's got the persuasion aspect. If you look from verse um, 28, 38, 31, 2 to 23, and then 38 to th uh, 31 to 38, you'll see that there, the, the paradise for believers. So all of that persuasion is there. Then after that, you have the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, verse 9, 12, 13, 18, being given uh, a lot of solace and comfort and reassurance. Uh, regarding the people of the past and how the Prophet ﷺ is going to be successful and he should continue doing what he's doing and don't worry about their enmity, their opposition and so on and so forth. This kind of discussion can, continues throughout this kind of a very similar theme and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about uh, the other prophets and then the discussion uh, th that we get from here, the, the, the points that we get from uh, reading the verses in general throughout are basically answers to four of the core doubts or problems that the disbelievers have had in those days from their prophets. Number one, they said we've just got a doubt because they're saying that what you're calling us in We are in doubt regarding that which you're inviting us towards. Now that could be whatever could be some aspects of the belief. Something they could maybe accept, but others they got doubt. So there's a doubt. So in order to remove that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells them that, can you have a doubt about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? 
He's the one who made this whole universe. How can you just think about it? The entire world, when you look at it on a micro level that everything relates to something else, this is something I'll explain to you some other time. But when you think on the world, you're going to have to go to a creator. You're going to have to think about a creator. So how can you not do that? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's oneness in his creation is so obvious. And I'll show that to you some other time. I know I make that as a claim, but I'm going to demonstrate that inshallah when we have some time. Today we're running out of time. Number two, the second big doubt was how can prophets, even the Meccans have this issue, right? And we'll see that in Surah Bani Israel when we cover that in, in more detail. But uh, they would say that how can a human being be a messenger? Why isn't it an angel? Again, for some of them, this was a genuine objection they had. Others, it was just an excuse. But regardless of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds to that. Number three, one of the biggest hindrances and preventions for, for their becoming, uh, uh, from them becoming Muslim and their obstinacy was taqlidul aba, which basically means for them following in the footsteps of their father. It's like, man, we're too lazy to move on. Right? If it was good enough for them, it was good enough for us. And number four, no, that were the three main points. The, now, some of the verses that I want to point out to you is verse um, 7, for example. Uh, yes, let me point out 7 first before we go back. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَإِن شَكَرْتُمْ لَأَزِيدًا You must have heard this quoted. If you're thankful, we will increase you. وَلَإِن كَفَرْتُمْ But if you deny or if you're ungrateful, because kufr is an ingratitude, because you're not recognizing your creator and your sustainer then my punishment is severe. What does shukr mean? Just say, I thank you, God? No. It means, number one, you realize where it's coming from. You confess that idea. You thank Him. And then what you have, you use in the correct way and fulfill its rights. If we, if we use the, what Allah has given us for His disobedience, it means we haven't done shukr. We could say, thank you, Allah, for all the riches you've given us, but I'm going to gamble in Las Vegas. Right? That's a problem. And anything smaller than that as well. But the main point is that if you are thankful, Allah will give you more. That's kind of his sunnah. Right? That you do, you give thanks, Allah is going to give you more. So it's in our own benefit to think about Allah and thank Him truly from our hearts. Now we move back to verse 4. Very interesting point. Allah says, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ رَسُولٍ إِلَّا بِلِسَانِ قَوْمِهِ لِيُبَيِّنَ لَهُمْ We never sent any messenger except in the language of His people. The, the speak in the same language of his people so that they can make it clear for them. They can uh, provide the proper exposition for them. And subhanAllah, one of the big hindrances to, for in our da'wah to non-Muslims, especially us as people from originally from forefathers from other areas, right, is the understanding of the psyche, the lingo, the idioms, right, and to be able to communicate in a way that makes sense at the similar wavelength, a similar, you, you provide a similar vibe that they can re relate. That's why, that's why maybe sometimes converts can be more effective, right, if they're coming from there. This doesn't mean that people of second or third generations can't get that. Mashallah, there's lots of people who've done that, who master the language and can speak at that language, but it's very important because language is a tool of conveyance. One of the reasons I believe that the Arabs of the Quraysh, etc., were chosen is because of their effective speech. And number two, their being able to live in a harsh climate and thus be able to go wherever. But, but effective speech and communication is very important. 
right? Of course, we've got cases like Musa salam where he had a slight stutter and he still was able to, you know, uh, fulfill that. Allah can do that. But in general, that is, that is an important. Lughatul Qawm is very important. Lughatul Qawm, right? To master the language of the people, right? Who you're living among and who you need to communicate to. And that's one of the, one of the ways to think about that. To the part that I really enjoy a lot. I've already mentioned a lot about it, but that's from verses 35 onwards about Ibrahim salam. So Ibrahim salam makes several du'as in there, right? Number one, he makes du'a for Makkah. The Prophet later made du'a for Medina Munawara. He said, bless it, uh, make it uh, special just the way you made, uh, just the way Ibrahim salam made du'a for that. Then another thing is that he said, protect myself and my children from worshipping idols. And, uh, but then he says that whoever follows me is going to be from me. Whoever disobeys me, then فَإِنَّكَ غَفُورُ رَحِيمٌ Then I leave him to you, Allah, because you are the most forgiving and merciful. And then he says that I've settled my family here in this place, which I've already translated to you. And then he makes dua that they be given all forms of fruit, subhanAllah, in an area with no water. And suddenly he's making this dua, and subhanAllah, uh, amazing what you can find there today. And... So then, but finally, the, this du'a everybody should make. This is the du'a of Ibrahim salam, and believe me, if you're struggling to wonder why your children do not pray, and you want them to pray, Rabbi ja'alni muqeem as-salati wa min Our Lord, make me of those who establish the prayer, and from my progeny. So not just my children, but my progeny until the day of judgment. Maybe if you pray, it's because one of your forefathers prayed for you. Right? But we definitely need to pray for our progeny and ourselves. Our Lord, accept the dua. Our Lord, forgive me and forgive my parents and, um, and the believers the day the reckoning will be established. The last uh, ch- section of this surah from verse 42 onwards until the end is... Allahu Akbar. Just before we get there, there's another verse I want to point out to you, which again is another very important section. Is مَثَلُ كَلِمَةٍ خَبِيثَةٍ كَشَجَرَةٍ خَبِيثَةٍ اشْتُثَّتْ مِنْ فَوْقِ الْأَرْضِ مَا لَهَا مِنْ قَرَارٍ You find that in verse 26. And then Allah says in 27, يُثَبِّتُ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِالْقَوْلِ الثَّابِتِ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will uh, make firm the believers uh, through the established formula in this dunya and in the akhirah. Uh, the established formula, they say this is the formula of faith. According to many, it's La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. That is a very pure term. And there's so many secrets of La ilaha illallah we have no time to get into, both from its wording, the way it's written, the letters that have been used, the ease of its pronunciation, La ilaha illallah. I'm saying that to you, you cannot see my lips move. You can be sitting anywhere, you could be saying, La ilaha illallah, La ilaha illallah, La ilaha illallah, silently. Nobody would know the better. It doesn't, it's got no meme or ba that allows the lips to purse or that causes the lips to purse. Subhanallah. Now, the last section of this surah, right, is a depiction, a visualization, a graphic. Uh, uh, an explicit um, uh, visualization of the Day of Judgment, 
Allah is saying from verse uh, 42, Do not think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, is unaware of what these oppressive people do. Because sometimes you see people oppressing for years and years and years and nothing's happening. Right? So you think that what's going on? Where is Allah? So Allah is saying here that do not ever think that Allah is unaware of that. He's just giving them respite, make it worse, then he's going to seize them, right? And then it gives a whole depiction of their state in the, uh, in the hereafter. And then warn the people about the punishment and, and so on. They, they did their plots, but Allah has his strategy. And uh, even if their plots were so massive that they could basically move mountains. So, فَلَا تَحْسَبَنَّ اللَّهَ مُخْلِفَ وَعْدِي رُسُلَ I just nearly read another qira'ah. فَلَا تَحْسِبَنَّ Do not ever think that Allah is going to oppose His warning to His, uh, oppose His promises to His messenger. No. And then again, there's another depiction of the paradise and about how they'll be covered in tar. And it's quite, it's quite gruesome in that sense. Then finally, the last verse uh, to end the surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, verse 52. Right? This is finally you know, being conveyed to the people. This is something by which they're going to be warned. And uh, this is so that they would know that Allah is one, right? They only have one, one, one deity, right? And again, invoking or summoning the people of intellect. This is so the people of intellect can get, uh, can reflect over this and understand. To understand the Quran, you have to think. You have to be a thinker to appreciate the Quran. You may be a mu'min, but if you do not think, you will not be able to benefit from the Quran as much as you could. The Qur'an requires you to engage with it. It's constantly uh, asking questions. It's engaging. It's uh, challenging. And uh, the, the reason for that is that it wants to engage us. It's a discursive. It's, it's, it's a discourse. So anyway, by that we complete, inshallah, tomorrow we start Surah Al-Hijr, right? Which uh, is where we kind of start with the 14th Juz as well. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to complete. May Allah bless our... Uh, month of Ramadan, the month of the Quran, and what a tawfiq, how much can we thank Allah that He has allowed us to stay with the Quran, to have some time with the Quran during this month of Ramadan, not just by reading it, but by reflecting over it and understanding it, and subhanAllah, I can only see this as a bounty of Allah that we must thank Him for, and that we, we, we thank Him for so that He can give us more, because this is not much what we're doing. And we can inshallah do more. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all. Pray for our blessing and our family's blessing and all of those who make this happen uh, every day. Uh, Allah bless them all as well. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.